I want to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall. I'm Monica Hoyle, your host for the show, and I am excited to have with me this evening Matt Riley, Emory and Henry class of 2018. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty good, Monica. How are you? I'm doing great, and you just came in from the river, which just makes this all the more authentic. <laughs> I sure did. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cold out there today, but um, well, really pretty warm for it being winter. But December, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good so, day on the river. Well, and, and a good day on the a day on the river is always a little bit good, don't you think? Yeah, usually. Let's tell everybody what you do, because you didn't just go out there to tromp around for the fun of it, although I'd say you enjoyed it, but it, it, explain to people what your, what your line of business is. Yeah, so I am, well, I'm a lot of things. I'm, I'm self-employed. I own uh, Matt Riley Fly Fishing, which is a fishing guide service, and uh, that basically is... Basically, I, I take people fishing. So I, I teach people and I provide an experience, but I also am a writer and a speaker and, you know, all the things that come with being sort of a person in an industry where people, you know, like to learn. So I do a lot of writing for newspapers and magazines. And this time of year, I, I hit a bunch of trade shows. Um, in you know the eastern united states and and do some some talks and stuff like that so um but all of it revolves around fishing pretty much yeah well i got tickled when you said i take people fishing but it's more than that i mean you're a guide you're a fly fishing guide and today you were out scouting out some places to take folks right mm-hmm. yeah where do you where do you like to go where, where are your favorite places to go well so it really depends on the season um you know, living where we do, we do have four seasons and there's something to do just about any day of the year. Um, and not only that, but there's something that's really optimal just about any day of the year. So starting in mid-March or so, I start really heavily focusing on smallmouth bass, which is, you know, one of our, you know, big game species in this area. Huh? And that's primarily um, Primarily fishing on the New River up in um, with County, Giles County, Pulaski County, and then um, some of the streams in the Upper Tennessee River watershed, the uh, the Holston River, um, some down on the Nolichucky River in Tennessee, and uh, throughout the year, you know, year round. Now, middle of August, I uh, do a lot of trout fishing as well both okay. in the Mount Rogers area and down in Tennessee on the South Holston with Tauga tailwaters. But locally, you know, in the Mount Rogers National Recreation Area, we have a ton of different mountain streams like the South Fork of the Holston, White Top Laurel, Beaver Dam Creek, you know, all of those. And then um, specifically in the fall and winter, I also focus on muskie, which is a big game fish. That we have here in the New River primarily. Uh-huh. That's my that's sort of my primary destination for them. So it really kind of depends on the season, and uh, you know, have different waters that I focus on, depending on the time of year and what fish we're after. 
And I'm just going to, yeah, as, as I promised, I'm going to show my ignorance in this conversation. So what is it like to fish in the wintertime? Because don't they kind of, I mean, don't they act differently and, and behave differently when the weather's cold? Do they stay closer to the bottom this time of year? Yeah. So there certainly are, you know, like I said, smallmouth bass, I start mid-March, you know, around the first of spring. And I'll take that through you know, the end of October, early November or so, the water starts to get kind of cold. Um, they start to slow way down. Um, but there are other species, you know, trout and muskie primarily that really do thrive in cold water. So, you know, muskie fishing is not something that I do in the summer because the water temperature is too warm for them to be comfortable and, and really safe to be angled. Um, and then, um, the nice thing about living next to these two tailwaters in Tennessee to the South Colson and Watauga rivers, they are bottom release dams. Um, the rivers basically come out of the bottom of South Colson Lake and well, the Watauga technically comes out of Wilbur Lake, but comes out of Watauga Lake first. But so basically the temperature there is, is about the same year round. So it oh. varies a handful of degrees from the middle of August to the middle of January. So no kidding. those fisheries stay um, pretty much the same year round. You know, food sources and stuff change, but um, water temperature and, and the fish's activity level and comfort level stays about optimal year round. So um, a lot of the fisheries that I do focus on in the wintertime, you know, in terms of what it's like, it's just cold um, for, for us. And then, you know, I try to get creative and find ways to stay comfortable, you know, like on all my guided trips in the fall and winter, I tend to, uh, to cook lunch so that we have something hot. You know, actually, I just bought a French press to take in the boat with me so that. But you take it um, in the boat, you don't fix it before you leave? No, well, I mean, you know, that way it's hot. Um, That's hilarious. That one, that one actually is pretty, it's a, it's a pretty cool new little gadget that I got, but it, uh, it's a thermos too, so it stays pretty warm for a long time anyway. But uh, Well, I'm impressed know. that you don't just, you know, you don't just fish, you also cater. I had no idea. Well, I, I get, you know, some people think it's too much work or, you know, to, to do food and and all the logistics and the fishing and the guiding, the rowing, the, you know, all that stuff. But um, generally speaking, most guide trips also come with, you know, lunch provided if it's a, if it's a day long affair. If it's a, if it's um, a good, if it's a good guide, if it's a exactly, good, exactly, yeah, exactly. it makes a difference. But, but I also, you know, just kind of try to, create the best experience that I possibly can. Sure. And I mean, personally, if I'm out fishing and I'm, you know, having a pretty relaxed time and enjoying myself, it's, it's pretty nice to take, you know, 30 minutes after fishing for four or five hours and, you know, kick back a little bit and enjoy some good food. So that's something I enjoy doing for people. I love it. Well, and you, just to clarify, you exclusively fly fish is that right do you ever just put a worm on a hook and let it dangle so the only thing i don't do um really is bait fish 
Um, that's, you know, not because I'm against it. It's just because, um, you know, most of my clients are looking for, you know, the sport of using artificial lures or flies. Okay. And so, you know, my business is, is Matt Riley fly fishing. So I kind of market and I lean towards that market, the fly fishing market, but I certainly, um, do plenty of, of, you know, trips with spinning gear or, or bait casting gear, you know, more conventional type stuff. Um, and that's, that's something that I, uh, you know, it just sort of happens, you know, you have, you have people who want to go on a trip and bring their friend, but their friend doesn't fly fish. And so, you know, I have to be prepared to guide people with other types of gear, but I fish that way myself too. You know, I, yeah. I fish spinning gear and, and bait casting gear pretty regularly as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, do you, um, talk, let's talk just, well, actually I have several questions, but let's talk first of all, just one second about fly fishing. A lot of people sort of see fly fishing as kind of a Zen experience. Do you, mm-hmm. do you see a kind of a spiritual side to it or am I, am I think, am I overthinking it? I mean, I, 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 I think a lot of people are captivated by just that, like, you know, the whole watch a river runs through it, you know, the whole like scene of the fly line, you know, being manipulated in the air and all that. And yeah, um, I, I would say that the public's, the general public's view of fly fishing is probably pretty, I mean, just like, you know, my view of a lot of things that I'm ignorant to, you know, it's pretty two dimensional. <laughs> um, I, I see it as a spiritual experience a little bit more in the sense that it requires a connection to, you know, the natural systems that you're trying to almost infiltrate. You know, if you, the definition of catching a fish on a fly is to basically trick that fish into fulfilling a natural process by chasing down some sort of food and eating it that it would normally do. And so you have to have, you have to have a fairly, you know, significant knowledge of fish biology, their prey biology and stream flow and, you know, all this sort of natural. um, And you have to kind of think like a fish. Exactly. So to that extent, you know, sort of imbuing yourself in in nature, I I see it that way. But uh, in terms of the actual process, like the casting and stuff like that, I think that's what the public probably latches onto the most, but that's probably the last thing that, that I think about, you know, well, anymore. I like the naturalist aspect of that. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, who comes to fish with you? Um, it, it's, a, it's a range of people. You know, I, I have people who have never fished before in their life and they want to try it. People who have you know, fish their whole life, but they've never fly fished before. Um, people who are established guides and accomplished in their own right in other areas of the country, and they want to come and experience, oh. you know, the fisheries that we have here. That's um, so it's, it's a whole, you know, gamut of people. Um, and they come for different reasons, too. You know, some clients are more of a... Um, you know, they, they need to, uh, or they want to work on a particular skill set. They want to mm-hmm. learn how to, you know, target smallmouth bass with a fly rod. Right. Or some are, 
you know, like I said, kind of already good at whatever, you know, fishery or, or skill set, and they just want to come, you know, one, have somebody row them down the river so they don't have to think about it, or two, um, experience a, a new fishery or new area, and then, you know, hopefully learn something along the way, too. Yeah. Just to remind everybody, we are speaking today with Matt Riley, Emory Henry class of 2018, who is a fly fishing guide, has his own company in Abingdon. You are, do you have a, like a storefront or something in Abingdon? Uh, no, it, it's, it's just me. It's, uh, it's I barely boat. have a desk. <laughs> yeah, it's a <laughs> couple of boats and, and an email account, basically. It's pretty lean as okay. far as well, that's good. They, they yeah, overhead exactly. is just over, overhead will just weigh you down. It's all good. Absolutely. So Matt is a fly fishing guy, but he's also an expert, and and he, he's a speaker and a writer and a blogger. And you've been you've been published in a lot of magazines and publications. And as I recall, you were doing some of that while you were still a student. Yeah, I I started doing that pretty early. I actually. Um, I actually started writing my outdoor column when I was in high school, which was probably less a testament to my ability and more a testament to the uh, gullibility of the editor that I pitched that to back then. What paper but, uh, is it in? It's the it's the Daily Progress around Charlottesville, Central Virginia, okay. um, where I'm from, and that that just sort of. I won an essay contest when I was in high school through the um, Virginia Outdoor Writers Association and then sort of jazzed up about that. I went home and started, you know, trying to make as many contacts as I could. Yeah. Kind of feel out my my market. And somehow I got this outdoor column um, that I guess I've been doing for 11 years now. And then. Wow. Um, that, you know, in, in freelance writing, you really need, you have to start somewhere and you have to build up credentials in order to really have any kind of foothold to pitch, you know, other publications and other editors. And so that, uh, that column was kind of the starting point for me. And then, you know, so then I started doing, you know, some regional magazines and then, you know, bigger national magazines and it just kind of snowballs from there. I love that. I think that's great. And how it, it begs the question, how did you get started with all of this? Did you grow up fishing? Did you grow up saying, I'm going to be a professional fishing man one day? That's my goal in life. Fishing. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up fishing with my dad. You know, that's, that's how it started. Um, and, you know, I really don't know where... I started writing or how I kind of got inclined to do that. But, um, you know, I think it was just as simple as enjoying what I was doing and wanting to sort of communicate that to other people. You got excited about it, wanted to share. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, the, uh, you know, just my entire, um, you know, all of my tendencies agree with, I think, the ins and outs of being a fishing guide, because even as a kid, you know, I would latch on to particular 
fisheries, particular rivers, whatever. And I would just really want to figure them out as sort of in depth as I possibly could, you know, and explore all of it and kind of know, you know, how it changed from season to season and, and how to best approach it and all that. And so, um, so I had my dad, I also had a, uh, a guy named Chuck Kraft, who was a fishing guide in Virginia for well over 30 years, starting back in the, in the early eighties, it kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of, um, well, a lot of the fishing guides in the state today. Um, oh, wow. and he was sort of a, he was a mentor of mine, a mentor of my dad's and, uh, through him, I met a bunch of other fishing guides in the area. And, um, you know, by the time I was in, you know, a senior in high school and in college, all of my fishing buddies were, you know, professionals. And so it, it was something that I always wanted to do. It was something that I never really felt like, I guess I was always very, um, respectful or conscious of, uh, how much work people who had come before me had put in to get where they were. And so I was always a little bit um, cautious to step into it. But then, you know, like I said, a couple of the guys that were coming down from Northern Virginia to come fish with me, college student at Emory and Henry um, was like, what do you mean? You don't get too good enough. You might as well, you know, I'm here, you know, you so. suddenly realized you were in a different circle there and there, right. you know, yeah, you may as well take advantage. I love that, that there's those guys were coming down to fish with you. I think that's great. What, um, how did you end up at Emory and Henry? Um, that's a, not a funny story, but, um, I, I think I had not applied, um, and it was like April of my senior year at, uh, in high school. And I got a flyer from the outdoor program and which I never really did a whole lot with. Um, but I had never heard of Emory and Henry before and the application was easy enough. And I sent it in, got accepted, visited a week later. And, um, my game plan pretty much had, had been to go to Virginia tech. Cause that's where, you know, you go, if you're into, the natural sciences in Virginia. Yeah, I get it. And uh, my my biggest uh, sort of con of Virginia Tech was just that there's 30,000 people there. <laughs> and Emory yeah. Henry is a little bit more my speed. So uh, that's how I ended up there. And I did, I took a semester off before I came. So I showed up in January. And uh, I was, so I was a little bit behind I guess, socially, like with my class, but it didn't take, didn't take very long to, to hop in, you know, yeah. being 900 and some people. Did you, did you consider the fact that um, there are a lot of great places to fish around Emory and Henry? Did that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was, that was a big part of it too. Um, and frankly, and I, I run into this as a guide booking trips too, you know, I, I didn't, really I was unaware of most of what's here you know and so as soon as I started looking into the area I was like holy cow I didn't know any <laughs> of that stuff existed you know in our state 
And I talk to, I talk to clients all the time that say, you know, like, where are you Blacksburg? I'm like, no, it's, you know, an hour and a half South of there. And they're like, Oh, you mean Tennessee? I'm like, no, there's, you know, a ton. We will never stop fighting that, you know, you no, keep thinking no, people will figure it out, but we will never stop fighting it. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, I really think that, I mean, most of the, most of the population of Virginia is, you know, well north of Roanoke. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. I, I have, agree with you. They can have the people as long as we have the, the good people and the good fish. Right. I agree with you. There yeah. you go. There you go. Well, now I, again, I'm going to show my ignorance, but Riley Rods, is that your family? Uh, Riley Rodcrafters is, uh, is my dad's company. Okay. He started, he started that, um, when I was at Emory and Henry at some point, I guess it was probably 2016 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he, he pretty much runs that out of, out of his house. And okay. it's, it's nice for me because, um, well, one, I have, you know, a rod maker in the, in the family <laughs> and two, um, we've been able to, uh, been able to go back and forth on some designs for, you know, certain rods. Oh, cool. That just, uh, you know, there's no real, there's no real, uh, you know, to, to suit a purpose that, that there's not really another rod on the market um, that satisfies, you know, the purpose. Like well, that's kind of, most- that's kind of great. I mean, he's got to love the fact that you can be out in the river saying this works and that doesn't work. Well, that too. I mean, um, you know, so a lot of, a lot of, I guess, if, if you call it my role with the company is basically um, just sort of being a spokesperson, having the rods in my boat. And so I have, you know, a couple hundred people a year that, that try them out. Um, and uh, yeah, and just sort of fine tuning things. And in particular, um one of, uh, like I have all, all, he's kind of custom made all of my musky rods, which, you know, like I was kind of alluding to, there's not really musky fishing is a, is a very sort of labor intensive and, um, it, it sort of degrades equipment pretty quickly because it's, it's just, everything's heavy and, um, long days and, abrasive lines and stuff like that and so we've been able to work together to come up with a rod that resists those things versus you know a lot of the the rods that are currently on the market um the the fly lines in particular that you use to fish musky with will literally um you know degrade a a fly rod to the point where it can't really be used in in a year or two so that's that's been something interesting that we've kind of gone back and forth on so i guess the last thing that i would want to maybe ask you to to help us understand too is about just a little bit about fit i don't i don't want to make you hit like do a whole speech but like a little bit about fishing and conservation just about how does how does fishing help conservation efforts you know first and foremost in conservation you have this idea that um you know if nobody knows about something you know, say you've got a, a, uh, a stream that 
you're keeping to yourself because you don't want anybody else to know about it. Yeah. Um, if, if you're the only one that knows about it and then some, you know, pig farm or mining operation or something threatens to swoop in, there's, there's not much of a, of a concerted voice for that particular resource. The more people that are sort of roped in on the deal, the bigger that voice. So in terms of, you know, clean water and, and habitat protection and, you know, all of that, having, having anglers on the water and being passionate about whatever fish it is that they're chasing or the sport in general um, just kind of creates a voice for those resources because, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be related to the fish, you know, like in this region, we have um, hellbenders are a big, you know, hot button species and um, you know, having clean water is beneficial to both hellbenders and wild trout. So whether somebody cares about hellbenders or not, um, if they like to trout fish and they see, you know, an issue that might potentially threaten their, their trout fishing, then, you know, they're hopefully going to say something. And that's, that's another part of my job that I really enjoy is just being somebody who is always out there and can see things change day to day and recognize threats as they as they pop up so you ever have to um, like sort of report something it's happened a few times um unfortunately well a lot it's i've had very few things that i've really been able to do much about there's a lot of things that bum me out as someone who loves rivers like you see farmers you know clearing entire banks on the river and pushing topsoil you know, into the river on top of smallmouth nests and stuff like that. And it's like, it's probably not the most cool thing you could do as a riparian landowner, but there's really nothing that you can do. And they're totally within their rights to do that. So unfortunately I do see a lot of things that I can't do anything about, but you know, the flip side of that is if there is something I can do something about, I'll see it. Right, right, because you're out there. Exactly. All right. Well, Matt Riley, we're going to wrap up with you. This has been fascinating. I've wanted to ask you some of these questions for a very, very long time. (laughs) And and I'm you said a couple of hundred people. You you have a couple of hundred folks come fish with you a year. Yeah, probably. If if I you know typical year is probably a hundred and twenty to a hundred and fifty days, and it's usually you know it's one or two people. But yeah, eighty five percent of the time it's probably two people. That is, that's terrific. Are you feeling are you feeling pretty good about that? I'd be feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is, I guess, this is year three for me. I, I'm a, I'm almost to where you know I really want to be to sort of baseline busyness level. Um, so give it another year, and I'll be pretty, pretty content. So what? So what's next? Do you like hire somebody else, or do you? Found a bigger yeah, river. that's that's a big question. I, I've been going back and forth on that. I've got a couple of friends that I work really closely with, but you know, as somebody who my name is on the business and you got to find is, somebody is, who's going to do it the way you do it. Exactly. Yeah, it's my. I feel like I make ten thousand little decisions every day that 
impacts how it comes out. So you got to find somebody that I can trust to make those decisions. The hardest part is going to be finding somebody who can fly fish and work a French press because that's going to be important. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It sure will. Particularly between the months of November and February. So if somebody is interested and get in touch with you about doing uh, maybe some fly fishing, or maybe they want to get you to come write a blog for their, or write an article for their magazine or something, you've got a website, right? I do. It's, uh, it's just mattreillyflyfishing.com and all my contact info and, and everything's on there. All right. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to sign off and then I'm going to ask you where your favorite fishing hole is because I don't want to just give it up to everybody. So we'll keep that a secret. They'll have to be in touch with you if they want to know. Sounds right. good. Matt Riley, Emory Henry Class of 2018, fly fishing guide and writer. This is exciting. Thanks, Monica. All right. Well, listen, I want to thank everybody for listening tonight on the Duck Pond Wall. And we will look forward to seeing you next time. In the meantime, stay in touch on WEHC, the voice of Southwest Virginia.